going to give you the truth. So use X3 to get stronger. That's going to make you stronger than anything. Calisthenics are for when girls are around. Yeah, curls for the girls. So keep that in mind. Go to the park, you know, some slow pull-ups. Put some suntan oil on that makes you real shiny. Yeah, that's, that's what calisthenics are good for. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. Lewis and I are curious college students looking to interview top performers, and we started this podcast with that goal in mind a little over a year ago, and in that time, we've interviewed over 55 amazing people, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, people that are creating art and creating podcasts and writing books. It's really been an incredible experience, and today we have another one of those amazing people, Dr. John J. Quish. I don't know if it's been a full year, but we're pretty close. It's like, it is. It's pretty close. But Dr. Jaquish is a PhD biomedical engineer. He started a company called OsteoStrong, which is a revolutionary treatment for treating osteoporosis. That's not at all what we talked about. In the process of creating that technology, he learned about something he calls the force curve, which made him realize that we have dramatically more strength throughout different ranges of motion than most people realize and that traditional weightlifting doesn't access that additional strength from the range of motion. So he created a tool called the X3, which is a at-home workout resistance band system to help people get additional resistance throughout their range of motion to fully maximize their strength. And it's been a kind of revolutionary technology. That's him on the cover of the book that Kyle just showed for the people watching on video. For those not, he's totally ripped. And he was not totally ripped before creating this technology. In like two years, it completely transformed his body and he wrote a book about the fitness routine he used with the equipment and what he learned in the process and why it, in his opinion, is superior to weightlifting. This conversation dives into the nitty gritty about the fitness advice he gives, the nutrition advice he gives, and the kind of business advice about dealing with people who are not accepting what is his opinion is total facts and in their opinion is just an opinion and how he deals with that while trying to introduce a technology that goes against convention in such a dramatic way with a title such as weightlifting is a waste of time. So it's actually the number one best-selling book on Amazon in the men's health category right now, just a fun fact. So anyway, it was a pleasure and really interesting to talk to him. He's a controversial high energy guy and it was one of our more fun conversations. Mm -hmm. So I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation, which I'm gonna switch to now. Dr. Jaquish, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. With us, We're excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have so many questions for you about fitness, dieting, exercise, uh, a lot of the controversial opinions you have. I, I binged your whole audiobook. kind of this interview came together on short notice. So I've just got a ton of questions with you. One of the most, I guess, not alarming, but claims that most attacked my existing beliefs uh, before reading the book is that carbohydrates aren't a macronutrient. Can you explain kind of what that idea is and if it's something I should contest or something I should take your word for? Well, first of all, that was a great introduction, but uh, I will say that I don't give any opinions. I have opinions on nothing. I present science. I present science, some of which, very little of which I have done, but mostly I want people to understand that these are not my words I'm telling them. It's other researchers that have come to this conclusion, and I also don't cherry pick. Like if there's conflicting research on a subject, I will say there is conflicting research on the subject, but here maybe the side that you have not heard about. So I'm not going to have like 20 pages on carnivore nutrition and 20 pages on, you know, vegan nutrition, because we've been getting that crap since we've been little kids. And that's untrue. 
So, and also it's been funded by Kraft and, you know, Nabisco and, and by the way, Kraft and Nabisco, they know vegans don't eat kale. They know vegans eat cookies and cake, vegan cookies and cake. So that's part of the reason that those biases are there, but I always call that out. So your question, carbohydrates, I say carbohydrates are not a macronutrient. Well, Webster's dictionary defines a macronutrient as something that is essential for life. And in 2005, uh, the US Board of Nutrition determined that humans don't need carbohydrates at all, ever. Serves no purpose whatsoever, including fiber. And they, of course, had hundreds of references. Now, I did go through and grab some of those, and I put those in the book, Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. But now, they're actually harder on carbohydrates than I am, because I do see a purpose. They're not a macronutrient, but I see a purpose for using carbohydrates as a performance enhancement. So right when my workout started, I had 80 grams of carbohydrates. And, you know, I mean, you can tell, like, I just worked out, like I got a lot of blood in my musculature. So I'm also out of breath a little bit. Sorry about that. What you can do is use that to super hydrate muscle cells. And then you stretch and you actually create room for more growth. Mechanical growth space is actually a thing. There's a lot of research on it. And instead of growing bigger cells, cells actually split in this process is called hyperplasia. So now distance runners need carbohydrates as they run also. So I can come up with two performance enhancement properties that carbohydrates have, but as far as muscle protein synthesis or living a longer life, or, you know, you need fiber. Like, first of all, let's go over how stupid the fiber recommendation is. Fiber is like, like, oh, you need like stuff like material to help clean out your system. That's like having a plugged up toilet and throwing like 20 paper towels in it and then flushing it 10 times. Does that unplug your toilet? No, it causes it to be even more plugged up. And now you got to call a plumber because you're an idiot. So like, that's like the fiber logic. It makes no sense whatsoever. It never did. And the research is very clear. You don't need it. So I, I don't know, but, but of course, what does Nabisco sell? It sells Triscuits, fiber. And they want to say carbs. Right. It's just marketing. Like it's marketing via science. Yeah. I'll tell you it's marketing might via be, purchase science. Yeah. It, you don't need it. Might, I haven't yeah, had fiber years. Well, you look great judging from your Instagram and your post-workout vibes now, but I'll tell you, it's even worse than you think. My sister is a self-proclaimed self-celebrating junk food vegan. That's, that's a new term where they celebrate the amount of processed vegan crap they eat. So it's a whole new level of, yeah. of problems there. But I, I've I revised some cemeteries and tell her to pick out her plot. Because <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. diabetes. She's on the diabetes train. I'll send her this interview. It's gonna gonna rock yeah, some yeah. walls a little bit. But we one question get her on I, here, and then I could you know heckle her the whole time. That would be fun. I, I don't know how, yeah, how productive. It takes a while to open up someone's mind. I don't like singling people out. Like I generally, I like I talk about like there is a vegan community that is like kind of religious about their nutrition. I mean, mm -hmm. religious about nutrition. Yeah. I watched the, the vegan. I wanted to find as many conflicting perspectives because I was very persuaded by your book. So I looked up as much criticism of, of it as I could. And I found the vegan gains video. If you're familiar oh. with that one. Oh and yeah. I was, that guy's oh, a God. character. That was, yeah. it was some funny stuff, but I have one specific question. Cause this was kind of yeah. a, a very self-aware stupid moment I had when listening to your book. 
specifically on the, I'm going to mess up the word, the hyperplasia chapter about muscle hydration. You mm-hmm. talk about how creatine is like a way to achieve it. And then in the next paragraph, you're like, but exogenous creatine leads to Parkinson's. So I literally at, at the start of that chapter, poured creatine in a glass, mixed it up. And then before I drank it, you're like, and it causes Parkinson's. And I dumped it down the sink right after here. Yeah, you tell me that. Okay. So what's the, what's the verdict on that? Like, let is me, it, let me give you a little more, more. So yeah. isolated exo- So you get a ton of creatine from meat. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying in that comment. I probably should have okay. specifically said that. That's on a list of like 50 things, by the way, I want to fix in the next version of the book. Because I never said it was from me. I literally I mean, dumped it out. <laughs> supplement. So you probably did, the right, <laughs> probably did the right thing, pouring it down the drain. But yeah, so that's what I meant to say. I just didn't give the detail, you know, in, in okay. you know, natural nutrition. You get a ton of creatine in meat. And meat's all I eat. So, so a pre-workout steak. And then to maximize hyperplasia or just having it in the system. I eat my meat at the end of the day. No, you don't, you don't need it to. So, well, in the way I talk about it as a vasodilator and retaining more, more water, like if somebody were a vegan, I would tell them to go for the creatine because they're not getting it in meat. Right. So I'll be like, yeah, go for creatine pro uh, pre-workout. So, I mean, it's, there's no like hard, fast rule about any of these things because if somebody's got, let's say they just can't get meat. Like, I don't, I don't want to pick on vegans. Like somebody who just can't get a hold of meat. Like, you know, you're, you're in the military and you're stationed in some place where it's just like insanely expensive to have meat. So, and I know guys like this. So, you know, what do they do? They take their Fortigen with them and they take some creatine with them. I mean, but at, from a vasodilator perspective, like, <sighs> I hate saying it, just get Viagra. It doesn't matter what it is. You just tell, tell your doctor, like, just hook me up, bro. Don't say you're using it to enhance muscle growth because they don't know that. Like what MD is worried about that? Like none. So like to say, young, give me a little help. I got a girlfriend that's pretty excited about me, which they believe when I say, because I'm so handsome. But they, you know, it's just like, you just say like, you know, come on. And they're like, oh, okay. Like they'll prescribe Viagra like candy. And then you just use it right before the workout. And then you have your carbohydrates right after the workout and the muscle swells and you'll notice the growth. One more question for you about the veganism. And then I hope that Kyle and I will ask some higher level questions. We kind of got into the weeds right off the bat here. I feel like you should uh, tell him that you were a vegan for a while, Lewis. I, think, I was also I think a vegan a for a long time. Yeah, I've played the extremes, but. I tried it too. But you tell this, one of the best parts of the book, in my opinion, is you say, you know, we didn't come into this research opinionated. We developed the fitness product first. And then as positioned as people selling a fitness product, people wanted nutrition advice from us. We looked for what the best nutrition was to complement this. If the answer we found was veganism, that would be the answer we were sharing, but it wasn't. Yeah. So that's why that's not what you I would have recommended anything. And and I I was totally open-minded. I was just like, I want to give the users of X3 the most optimized way to be in the best shape as possible. And coincidentally, being in the best shape as possible also will force you to live the longer and happier life because the two greatest drivers of long life are being lean and being strong. That's it. So lean and strong, like, you know, that's clearly what X3 is doing better than anything else. So we got to allow people to get the most out of it. Absolutely. So the most troubling criticism I did find from that vegan gains video that we laughed about a minute ago was you're yeah. just now saying, you know, animal protein is the best source of protein, but Fortigen is vegan. Where's the, can you clear up that disconnect for me that your protein supplement is vegan, but you recommend a meat diet? I'm sure there's a great answer. I just wasn't smart enough to clear it up. It's not vegetable. So what does Fortigen come from? 
I know it's amino acid, an amino acid profile, but what, how do you it's make bacterial that? Bacterial fermentation. And honestly, we should be eating rotten meat, but there's some safety issues there, right? I mean, you can get some. So the idea is the human digestive system and essential amino acids really steer us toward, like, like if the three of us, you know, were living a couple thousand years ago and we had to just kill like a, you know, a whale that was halfway washed up on the beach or a woolly mammoth or something like that. Oh more than a thousand, two thousand years ago, maybe 5,000 years ago. Like, you know, by the time we would feast on that thing in the last couple of days, that meat wouldn't be so fresh. And we'd be like chasing, you know, dogs and hyenas away and shit like that or whatever, whatever type of thing would be scavenging that. And so we'd be eating a lot of rotten meat and we'd actually get better essential amino acids from that meat. But you can make anything rot and have bacteria grow on it. So Yes, the product is vegan friendly, but it's not made of vegetables and nothing died to, to produce it. But, you know, like vegans, I don't think they even know what bacteria is. You know, I mean, it's just like, well, is it animal or plant? It's like, there's more than animal and plant. Sorry. I've ruined a lot of vegan lives by telling them that, but whatever. Yeah, I really, you know, I really like how you are polarizing. I think, I think it's inspiring for me, at least, because... In our podcast, the last, you know, we've published 50 episodes now and we've done not a great job of like really holding out and just saying our strong opinions. I don't know why I, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons to it, but could you talk to us about like where the confidence inside of you comes from to just be able to piss off people with every sentence, every book title, like no matter what. <laughs> That's a good question. I tell you what, it is the reason I speak with absolute conviction is because I'm absolutely right. So you have like, when you're going to make a presentation that's going to rattle somebody's cage. I mean, look, most people just go to a job or they speak on some subject that, a, you know, tens of thousands of people have spoken on before and they may have a different PowerPoint than the other guy, but it's the same shit over and over and over again. No, nobody's really trying to change anything. Well, if I get out of bed, I'm trying to change the world. So when I first came up with the bone density medical device, I researched it till I was at the point where I was like, there was no way I was wrong. Like I, I just, I've taken a very simple and elegant approach to looking at what was previously seen as a complicated biochemical problem, but I saw it as a mechanical problem. And so my solution was so much easier. Like these guys... Like, and I've met the top, absolute top researchers in the world. I've had drinks with them. I cannot drink all of them, by the way. That's kind of cool. So, so these guys, like these guys are brilliant. They're professors uh, teach, teaching about very high level bone stuff. And most of them are research professors. So all they have is PhD students that they deal with. And then they look at what I have and, you know, kind of shake their head. And they're like, this is awesome. They really want to punch holes in it. And they're like, you, you're not wrong. Like now, what the worst thing I've ever heard, and uh, this is from like the, the top guy in the field, or at least he was like three years ago. So he probably still is. Not a lot of changes there. And he says to me, how do you get people to use it? And I, I, like, he just, he goes, we can't even get people to take their, their meds. They won't take the, the pills. And I said, well, it's amazing because the pills make you feel like shit, but this makes you feel great. It's like literally like an exercise or bone. It compresses. So this is the humerus bone. We compress that bone from end to end. 
with hundreds of pounds. I mean, I can put 2000 pounds from my humerus bone right here. So when that happens, the bone springs back into position and then all the whole bone matrix, you know, that honeycomb that you look at, like all the little walls that pulls in minerals and recalcifies and builds more little walls and makes the bone more powerful. And uh, when there's some, when somebody who's lost a lot of bone density, like postmenopausal female who has osteopenia or osteoporosis, the bone starts to grow in density. And so I, I had to experiment with it. I had to research everything about it. And I, I could speak with absolute conviction that this is right. Now, when it came to variable resistance, the big challenge I had to convince myself of, and so I'll, I'll tell you, like the, the practice of the absolute conviction for the second time was looking at the bone density data and saying, wow, these postmenopausal women are putting like seven times their body weight or eight times or nine times through their legs. Like the strongest people in the world can't even do that. Now, of course, they're only moving it about that far. And that far, by the way, is a compression of their bone. The fixture doesn't even move. So, I mean, their bones are actually being compressed and you can see it. But I'm like, they're so powerful in that range of motion. And then one of the physicians, the university, the study was done at the University of East London. And so I spent, you know, I don't know, a couple months in London going back and forth, making sure they're using the product, right? I couldn't be involved in the study for conflict of interest. But I wrote the protocol and the methods for, this, for the study. So you look at this and they're like dealing with huge amount of weights. And all the doctors were like, what do people even lift in the gym? Because this just seems like weights that, you know, like guys in strongman contests don't, don't lift. And I'm like, well, you're right about that. And then I would look at, uh, so the American College of Sports Medicine keeps a database of exercise data, or they reference the NAINS database. It's not theirs, but uh, it's part of the um, National Institute of Health. And it's the largest collection of health data, especially exercise focused in the world. And so there's like 20,000 people in there and it grows by about 2000 a year. Looked at that as far as what the average lifts are. Now, leg press doesn't count because most of the weight in the leg press is going down into the ground. So you're sliding it at a 45 degree angle. It's like, oh, I've leg pressed a thousand pounds. It's like, no, you didn't. You know, maybe half of that because the other half went into the ground. But, you know, that's like math and it's too hard for gym people. So I, I, I could go on, I could go on for a long time about, about the jokes and the comments. I'd get every word misspelled. It's awesome. So like, I'm like, okay, people are on average, unathletic people can typically start with 1.3 times their body weight. Athletic people, it's 1.53 times their body weight. But then we have postmenopausal women using the bone density medical device who are dealing with seven times their body weight, eight times their body weight, nine times their body weight. So it was like seven, eight, and nine, right across the board. Like everybody was right in there. So it wasn't like there was one person with two multiples of body weight or four. It was all seven, eight, and nine, every single person in the study. And so I thought, okay, after doing that calculation, comparing those two databases, I think I did a, like a Spearman row test and I did a couple of different statistical tests that were just wrong, you know, like trial and error. Like, how do I, how do I like show this? Basically you're seven times stronger in your impact ready range than you are in your weaker range. So like in a push-up position, when your nose is close to the ground, that's the weakest. And when your arms are almost locked out, so 120 degree angle between the upper and lower arm and with the back of the hand in line with the clavicle. So like you wouldn't do this, 
you wouldn't put your you wouldn't put your hands up or down like it would be that exact position when you're to catch yourself when you fall and that happens to be the top of a bench press position naturally unless you like bench press with a smith machine and you're trying to injure yourself because that's what that does so looking at that data i knew like wow like we're seven times stronger in one particular range of motion versus the weight that we pick which really means we only pick a weight we can handle in our weaker range and what do we know about the weaker range you're firing the absolute least amount of muscle you injury have. too yeah and that's and that's where you overload joints and like peter atia i don't know if you guys know who dr peter atia is absolutely so awesome. yeah i yeah. love the zero fasting app yeah yeah peter says he, he doesn't really care for weightlifting because it overloads joints and underloads muscle like he was thinking the same thing i was this was like whoa like I think I just figured out how to fix this. We need massive variance and not just like a little band that you add to your weights, like a huge difference between lighter, lighter, like, you know, weak range to stronger range. And that's what I did. That's what I developed. Absolutely. And I think one thing that, you know, you just mentioned a little bit ago, a lot of the criticism for you and the system come from people who don't have like anonymous profiles, misspelled names, millspelled all the words, and then all your testimonials are from like the titans of like biohacking and these fitness industries. It's Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey and 40 MMA fighters. Athletes. How about yeah. that? You name like, another like, product that has 40 professional athletes endorsing like, Entire sports teams. Right. Yeah. So I have a very specific question actually about pushups. So up and I've not been lifting weights mostly because one injuries and two, just been into calisthenics for a while. How do calisthenics fit into like an optimal program with the X3? Should like the X3 be for strength and calisthenics are for skills? Cause like I'll enjoy them. Or like if I bought an X3, should I stop doing pushups and exclusively use that for my chest? Or like, where do the two kind of play together? So I'm, I'm sold that way lifting weights. I'm going to hurt myself and waste my time, but I do still enjoy calisthenics. So what would be optimal for someone like myself? Let me give you the truth. So use X3 to get stronger. That's going to make you stronger than anything. Calisthenics are for when girls are around. Yeah, curls for the girls. So keep that in mind. Go to the park, you know, some slow pull-ups, put some suntan oil on that makes you real shiny. Yeah, that's that's what calisthenics are good for. Yeah, because it's not variable resistance. Like you're not exactly. going to, like when you're, when you're holding, you know, your arm up, you're not able to put more resistance right here than you are here. And so... You know, you get, it's just like lifting weights. Now, there are people who apply variable resistance to, you know, to calisthenics. And that's just called having really shitty form. That's another great way to get injured. So, you know, they're, they're kipping really hard. Exactly. Like, I see CrossFitters that are like, I, I do 40 pull-ups and then you watch and you're like, I, okay, you watch them, you know, do this up and down and you're like, yeah, that's zero, zero, zero. Okay. Yeah. And, and also you won't grow from that. So don't, yeah. Like, I was a skinny guy doing 30 butterfly pull-ups back in the day. So I was trying to get stronger being vegan at CrossFit. That, that was just, I'm a product of the, the misinformation, clearly. Well, I was Kyle, talking to you now and not back then. But on the, on the X3, so my, one of my mentors, he uses the X3 for working out. He loves it. He wanted me to That was like a brilliant that, man. Yeah, well, he's very he's, successful. Uh, hooked up with with Ben Greenfield, and uh, so he got it through there. But his question that he wanted me to ask was, does it ever make sense to do greater than one set per exercise? Generically, no, because you get so devastated with one set. 
Now there is something, you know why you don't have two girlfriends at once? Yeah, I, I know for sure. Yeah, it's a fucking pain in the ass. You got to remember what movie you saw with which one. So you don't, you just don't do that. You guys should probably write that down. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just too much work. And also, you know, they tend to not get along. Like, you know, you can get two kittens and they'll play. Get two girlfriends? No, they won't do that. So the problem, if you know you're going to do a second set, is you subconsciously half-ass the first one. There's no way around this. Because your body knows. Like, it's going to have to do it again. And then you don't, you have a lousy first set. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that, you know, because of the variance, you can devastate a muscle so fast with X3 with just one set. Like, why would you do a second one? Like, cause then, then you're just diluting. You, you want to get as much work done in a short a period of time, right? Like that is intensity of stimulus. The more intense the sunlight you can get on your skin, in the shorter period of time, the better your tan's going to be, right? If you get a hard abrasion on your hand, you get a callus. If you get a light abrasion for a long period of time, you get a blister, right? So like all stimuli to the human body that can create an adaptation has to do with the intensity of exposure in the briefest possible period of time. So that, that's really the answer. I'm mean, giving that answer like a thousand times. I, I don't know. Like a lot of people find it satisfactory, but then, you know, like, unfortunately, Dorian Yates was like, in a perfect world, we'd only do one set, but we don't live in a perfect world. So I do too. And it's like, dude, now, of course, he's also lifting standard weights, which have all kinds of biomechanical inefficiencies, which is why I would never spend my time lifting weights. As the book is called, weightlifting is a waste of time, you know? Like that's where I'm coming from. Like if you can get such perfect exhaustion with one set, by the way, I put on 60 pounds of muscle with this thing and I've never been sore. I've never done more than one set. I can play like you guys probably don't, I don't know if anybody plays golf anymore. I think golf courses are going to be turned into cemeteries or something. Do you play golf? No, I said they're going to be used as cemeteries for vegans. Probably. Yeah, probably. So, so yeah, I mean, like I can go play golf. And the reason I, I use golf as an example is you can't have a pump and play golf unless, and I, I mean, it's not, it's not because of the pump. It's because the joints are irritated and you lose some accuracy because you get some neural inhibition. Like your joints are like, no, nah, we don't want to move. No, sit down. Except you're not sitting down. You're playing golf. And so like your, your accuracy just sucks. Like the day after you lift or the day you lift, I just got done lifting. I can go play golf right after this podcast. No problem. I think that you need to make your before pictures easier to find because that's one of the biggest problems that I found in doing research. Yeah. Uh Just you look like you're huge now and you're just a much bigger than average dude. It looks like at the start of this journey. And that like, I think gives some people some trouble saying that you put on 60 pounds because it's a big recomposition. You know, you're already like a big fringe person. I don't know. You just you're like body fat too. Yeah, I exactly. Lost. That's why it's a recomposition. Like you don't look 60 pounds heavier in the sense that you're just like some people make a more dramatic change because they didn't, you started out as less of a total beginner. I, I don't know. I was going to say that neural inhibition as well. I think that's one of the things that really clicked for me when reading the book that and the like thinking of weight training or not weight training. That's just uh, my bias there. Thinking of training in terms of like maximizing the hormonal response super interesting. So I want to ask one question that a mentor of mine, it's actually the local rabbi at Alabama wanted to ask. He's kind of a biohacking rabbi, rare find, but he's been doing 16, eight for quite a while. 
like, and last time we'd spoke, he was super into it. And then I hung out with him last night and he's like, I stopped doing it. Cause I feel like it was bringing diminishing returns. And so his question to me kind of thinking with a historical question, what's this? I have uh did you see my last like Instagram, my second last Instagram? Post? Probably yeah. Not. Oh no. I, I like said 16, eight is like, it's like, that's a, that's a first step. You do that for one day and then you move on to one meal a day. Cause it, that's the problem. It's like, it really doesn't do much for you. Yeah, it's not he, felt, like, okay, he did so it for a couple of months and then felt thing. like it wasn't providing benefits anymore. So he yeah, was exactly like, I reading, just talked about this, reading his intuition correctly. Yeah. So the progression is to go more difficult, not more difficult, but longer periods of fasting and to OMAD. The longer the fasted period, the better, but also like when somebody's lifting, you're a performance athlete. I have, I have learned that my willpower is a little bit stronger and by a little bit, I mean like insanely stronger than most people's. Like I've done five days, no food. I've done three days, no food, no water. Like just, just to check it out. But I realize, in fact, I just filmed these, a new set of nutrition videos yesterday that really keeps like the normal person in mind. Uh, there's nothing normal about me. Like I will run an experiment that people would think you're probably gonna die if you run that experiment. But I, you know, of course I know the clinical literature and I'm like, no, I'll probably be better than I am now, but you know, whatever, you can think that. So 16, eight, like, it's just not, it's not long enough. The benefits of fasting start after 12 hours. So you're only getting, you know, like four hours of benefit out of 16, eight. So just push that out, push it out to 24 hours. Get, get, get 12 hours of fat loss. And then, you know, and then of course your, your one meal a day, make that carnivore. So, you know, the body can store fat. It can store carbohydrates. In fact, that's really all it does, but it can't store protein. So if you're going to overfeed, overfeed on protein. And then, then you just got to sleep with the window open because you're going to be hot and you're going to thermogenesis. Yeah. I'm like boiling at night. I heard you mention on, uh, we're friendly with Nicholas Hutchison. We interviewed him a couple months back and have stayed in touch. And you mentioned that, that on days you're not fasting, you have to keep your house at like 63 degrees. Otherwise you'll burn up and most people be uncomfortably cold. But when you're fasted, mm -hmm. you don't have to do that. So it's pretty mm -hmm. interesting to be able to like directly observe that effect in yourself. Oh, like I have two settings, faster or not fasted on my air conditioning system. I just walk in and flip the switch. Like if I haven't eaten in like two days, <laughs> I'm cold. Yeah. But if I'm, you know, if I come back from like the steakhouse, you know, sometimes I'll have a little less fortigen and enable myself to eat a 64 ounce steak. You know, those last like eight ounces, like it's work. But if I turn the AC down to like 64 or something like that, oh my God, it's like, it's like so the most perfect feeling. I just it's like a hibernate. So yeah. Great. I just connected yeah. the dots that the meat That's sweats are a real thing. Okay. Yeah. Huh? I said, I just connected the dots that the meat sweats are a real thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> real yeah. That's, that, that expression deserves to be an expression apparently. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Yeah, go for, for it, Kyle. A little bit off, off topic here, but Lewis and I like this concept of the permissionless apprentice. I think it's coined by a guy named uh, Jack Butcher and visualize value, but there's this character in your story, Henry Alkire, Al Alkire, yes. Alkire, who's just really interesting to me. It seems like he sort of just came into your life full force, like, and then that's a pretty valuable intern that he turned into. So, could you tell us a little bit about him? And oh, like, he's my best friend, friend, also. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's so he's a biomedical engineer also. Do you want me to just drag him in here? Sure. For some context for people listening, the the book tells a story where, you know, John's still working on OsteoStrong and needs an intern to help him like prototype something. And he's like a freshman at Cal Poly, if I'm getting that correctly. And then he proceeds to be like longtime business partner, co-inventor for a super long time. And I did not have that many useful skills my freshman year to where I would have been right. making it's like, substantial. So yeah. How did he do this? Like, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, he's in the middle of running an experiment. I got some pretty awesome stuff in the works. So yeah, but Henry is, he's, I think he's the smartest person I've ever met. Oh, wow. Just brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, he's like, he's a lot younger than me. He started working uh, with us when he was 18. Yeah. So how yeah, did that happen? Like, like when I was a freshman, like you know, how did y'all find each other now? I, I just, I don't have like the skills necessary to jump into some biomedical company working on innovative yeah. value. Osteoporosis. I was like, you know, we hired him to do CAD work. Hmm. Just, just, you know, wireframes and 3d graphics and stuff like that. <clears throat> but he was aerospace engineering at the time. And he immediately switched to biomedical engineering because he was just so fascinated with what we were doing. And he read my book and the first book, uh, Osteogenic Loading. And then, uh, yeah, we just worked really well together. And uh, I mean, we can kind of finish each other's sentences now. I'm certainly, I'm abrasive and he's the opposite of abrasive. Hmm. So, you know, like sometimes I'll be like, hey, should I say this? And he's like, no, the National Guard may be called if you say that. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes he's a great sounding board, but really smart guy. And like, and all y'all make a scientific argument. And then 99% of the time he's like, yeah, you can make that. And then the other, you know, 1%, he might be like, you can make that stronger, mm. you know, because like, you know, so, so I'm actually conservative when it comes to the writing, but when I say stuff, I'm a little more, I don't know, like if somebody's of a group of people, is being irrational or generally unintelligent. Well, I'll point it out. I won't pick out an individual though. So somebody, you know, will be like, and I'll pick somebody I actually like. Somebody will be like, well, what do you think of Lane Norton? And I'm like, I actually think Lane's a really smart, good guy. And he references a lot of research that, I mean, he, he doesn't like fasting and he's kind of picked a side in what has become like a religious war. I recommend caloric deficit and fasting. Like why does it have to be either or? Like, in fact, you can gain muscle while on a caloric deficit if you had a protein surplus. So who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Like, there's good research for both. So just apply both. So, like, I'm not, I'm not like a religious war kind of guy. And if somebody, like, if somebody wants to be a vegan, I can help them. But, you know, it's certainly not what I'm going to yeah. do. So I have a couple questions. You had mentioned Henry's a very smart partner and he's working on something really exciting. This kind of reminded me of a question I want to ask you. So the X3 bar standalone seems like an incredible piece of fitness equipment. Uh, question I have for you is you have a lot of other stuff on your website that is expensive and interesting, which is a dangerous combination. The vibration plate, the supplements, the Fortigen, the coffee replacement, how like essential to achieving optimal results is adding the additional add-ons versus just buying the X3 bar. So like if I'm pretty sold, but on a college that I want the X3 bar, but I'm on a college budget, like, should I be beating oh, myself up yeah. for not being able to afford the vibration plate? Or is that like really icing on the cake no. for the extreme person? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because the vibration plate will give you an extra, you know, 5% fat loss because of the instability firing and the upregulation of growth hormone. It's great. 
but don't, you know, don't go into debt for, for that. I would say, you know, X3 is as high as a priority as you can make it. Fortigen's right there too. I mean, unless, you know, you get tons of red meat, like, you, you know, you're in college, I don't know how your cafeteria is, but mine was always all you can eat. So I would just have like a platter of steaks. I mean, I don't know. I was on the rugby team. They didn't like any of us. Also, we would start food fights and we'd wrestle in there and knock shit over. They hated us. I think a lot's changed since I went to college. I'd say a lot. Well, a lot of change. Well, I was thinking about the fraternity. I was going to ask you a question. It didn't really play into anything, but I know you're the president of your fraternity. I was mm-hmm. going to say that if you're transplanted into the fraternity house today, I think that you'd still be able to enjoy it somewhat. Like, I don't think it'd be that different. This is true because I was hanging out with the undergrads. Yeah, about last year. And it felt like right at home. And then they got in huge trouble right after that for doing like all kinds of stuff they weren't supposed to do. And I'm like, wait, we're not supposed to do that? <laughs> I do that all the time. Right. So, you know, like, yeah, I was, uh, I was all about my fraternity. You can still see my fraternity letters branded on my arm. Maybe. Most amazing fraternity. Most amazing experience. So what the hell did you ask me before, you, before we got signed? <laughs> pretty much. Gave, you you gave, <laughs> yeah, you, you gave me a pretty solid answer there about saying the X3 bar is truly the priority and everything else is essentially right. for, Fortigen so is useful too. X3 and Fortigen. See, Fortigen is really cheap. Like if you think one scoop of Fortigen replaces an eight ounce steak oh, damn. In, in protein value, when someone's like, well, it's more expensive than whey protein. Yeah, well, I wouldn't put whey protein in a cat's litter box. It's fucking worthless. So, I mean, well, it's worthless. It's 18%. Better than broccoli. But... Yeah, better than broccoli, right. You know, it's it's just higher value. It's, it's great. And you certainly can't get an eight ounce steak for $2. No, you can't. Not even at all. That's what it is. It's two bucks a serving. So I would say it's the cheaper option, but uh, also it'll keep you lean as hell. So what I do right now is I do four, because I I got 250 grams of protein. I got to have one gram per pound of body weight. I'm 240. So I do four doses of Fortigen. So that accounts for 200 grams. And this is, this is like, so I I did a video about this nutrition yesterday. This is kind of like the minimum commitment nutrition. Is, is what we're calling it. And I actually prefer it. And I'm like the one with the, that's where I was going when I was talking about, like I have willpower, my willpower is insane, but sometimes maybe the easier approach is the one that's just sustainable. More Fortigen and, and I actually spend way less money because I only eat like, I would normally go to a restaurant and get four entrees in my one meal a day, but, but or, or like the steak for the whole table, like the 64 ounce porterhouse. I don't do that anymore. I'm going to steakhouse tonight and you know, I'll probably have like the eight or 12 ounce filet. You know, it's, you not, gotta, it's not like they don't have to bust over me anymore. You got enough protein from the Fortigen because it's so right. available. Right, the majority yeah. of the Fortigen, yeah. yeah. You get to skip exactly. the steak so, appetizer before the steak entree now. So that's that's good. Well, I, I've done that too. I've had a steak for an appetizer, like three steaks for my main course. <laughs> and then when everybody else is eating dessert, I'll get like a small filet. That's hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. my next question for you, we share in that our mothers. Wait, one thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like X3, Fortigen. And then I would say like, if you want a coffee replacement, Imperium is great. It's like an energy drink with an appetite suppressant. You know, it's like a pre-workout, but the medium chase. So it's like, if it's replacing something that you're already doing anyway, then it's kind of the net cost is zero. So like instead of coffee at Starbucks every morning, you have an Imperium and you're keeping, you know, a lot more money in your pocket. 
that covers everything. I wanted to fully answer that question. No, they're yeah, perfect. People, thank you for that. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, Thanks for the question. It's good. So my mom has osteoporosis. Her mom does too. And, you know, that's close to my heart. And that's actually the reason that I found you in the first place. It was months and months ago. But like, what exact prescription should I give to her? Because she's not going to tear through any sort of scientific articles or like, if, if I tell her something, I think she's pretty much going to say, okay, like, I'll do whatever it takes. So like, what should I tell her that she should be doing to to make it better or like extend her life or, you know, is there an osteo strong location near her? That's what I was going to ask you. There's some in I, Alabama. There are in Birmingham. I, I, looked on, I don't know about Birmingham, but the state. Birmingham has one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's a couple in Alabama actually. In fact, they're run by a guy. His name is Josh Fandrich, huge X3 user, really strong dude. I was going to say, is he huge? It's huge. So I have another question for you here. Kind of, I'm sure you're familiar with the 80-20 principle. Just, you know, sure. like 80% of the causes come from 20% of the inputs. So what would be, you have a lot of opinions in the book, not opinions, a lot of arguments made in the book about testosterone and optimizing testosterone. What would be the highest, biggest mistakes to avoid and or biggest changes to make to just like three to five things total maybe to like for everyone for better testosterone overall? Because you make a really good argument about the importance of that for every right. result you want as an athlete. So the biggest issue with testosterone, how do I answer this in a politically correct way? They're chasing the wrong thing. It's not the testosterone that counts. It's how many receptor sites are open. Hmm. So, you know, your body's going to use what it wants to use. It's sort of like when you're hungry, your body needs to make some cells and it needs to process some some other stuff it's like when you know ghrelin and leptin get upregulated when you're hungry and that happens for various reasons so to get a testosterone receptor site activated there's only one way to do it and that is put extremely heavy loads on the body and so you know you can have a natural level of testosterone which i do and you can grow a lot more muscle if you can put staggering amounts of weight on a muscle now, and I, of course, recommend doing it without a weight. Do it with variable resistance. You know, there had been an need because people were like, is there an easy way at home they can emulate X3? And I'm like, well, there was. I would have just written a book about that <laughs> and not bothered developing a consumer product because there's no harder business to run than a consumer product business. So, yeah, like really, like when I chest press, I hold 550 pounds here, 300 pounds in the middle, and 100 pounds at the bottom. Of a, of a chest press. When I get to that 550 pounds and I hit that 20 times, that's like a really big deal. That leaves an impression on the musculature, totally exhausting. But because I get to those peak loads, those receptor sites just open up. So that natural level of testosterone I have is just grabbed and used. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, like I get, I get like NFL, because there's 15 NFL players I work with. They ask me all the time, they're like, you're bigger than I am. Why didn't you go in the NFL? I'm like, well, I don't have the genetics for it. And they're like, yeah, you do. Now, I don't, I think they're oversimplifying it. You got to be fast. You got to be fast without being injured. There's a lot of things that go into the skill of an NFL player, not just the raw strength. But I'm like, I only, I, I looked like this after I turned 40. Like, and I, and I figured some things out. I'm like, that, that's why, that's why you called me. That's why 
you know, your strength coach said, look into this guy because there's some things about like using testosterone, which don't require a supernatural level. You just use more of it by having a strategy, which is what the whole book talks about, a strategy to apply more force into the musculature than it's ever seen. Great. Well, I think we're going to transition now into what we call our bonus round, just some rapid fire, just like little things we want to know about. My first question is, what's your favorite car? I know I've seen you with a Lamborghini, Ferrari. Just what's your what's your your pick of the litter right now? I'm really loyal to Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Like they just make such a badass car. It's faster. It's, you know, the shifts like just boom. I mean, you feel like you got rear-ended every time you shift. Like it's just, it's just a a staggering amount of power that you don't need, which is kind of like me. So yeah, it's just just my personality. It's just badass. Which one? Huracan? The Huracan's very drivable. So you got to realize that Lamborghini built the Aventador to set the record at the Nürburgring. And they did. They said, and they said, first the Huracan said it. Uh, So it was the fastest car in the world for like two years, which I think is like the longest anybody's ever held that record. And it was a Huracan Performante, which is basically what I have. I have the Performante without the wing. Mm-hmm. So I think the wing is just like taggy. The last thing a Lambo needs is a wing. But if you look at which one they put in Le Mans and Daytona and Sebring, the three most important races outside of Formula One in the world, it's the Huracan. They don't race the Aventador. It's, it's too big, it's too wide. It's, it's, it weighs an extra thousand pounds for two more cylinders. You know, it's, it's a bad trade-off. It's really good at long straights, which the Nürburgring has a lot of. So it's like, it shines at like 220 miles an hour, which, you know, even on a racetrack is like, kind of like no one goes that fast. So it, it's the, the Huracan. I checked out, I checked out the Ferrari that's not even out yet, the F8. Uh, they invited me to a special thing and I got to drive that. <laughs> they also had me drive the Portofino. Yeah, don't get that one. Uh, Portofino is just like a, like a, a prettier M3. Just get the BMW. <laughs> I guess it, it, part of me was not. I mean, unless unless somebody really cares just about owning a Ferrari, is this the least expensive uh, Ferrari? But it, it's not fun to drive. It's cool. It's luxurious. That's about it. Like not my style at all. The F8 is really quiet. Like it's it's a pleasant experience. That's not what I want. I want a brutal experience. I want like you know, the girl sitting next to me to get out of the car and be like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So like, I didn't get this for your entertainment. I got it for mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's so, it's so much fun to drive that car. There's a couple other things that I looked at and I like, but I, like probably the, the replacement to the Huracan will be whatever Lamborghini replaces the Huracan. And I've made them crystal clear. I'm like, put me first on the list. Like you call me for, you know, you need a hundred thousand dollar deposit. I, I got a waiting. Just first one's mine. Well, that is awesome. Clear passion about cars there. And it seems like you apply a similar level of research interest that you do to, to fitness and nutrition. I mean, but- well, I mean, if you care about, so there's things I don't care about that I, you know, may spend my money on. Actually, no, that's not true. I care about just about everything. Uh, you know, like, like steaks, like you guys know what a cinder grill is? I do not. You need one. Let's, it let's hear it. Cook meat. Like you cinder will have the best steakhouses in the world with a cinder grill. Uh, uh, can you paint a picture for me? I've, like no, nothing's come to mind. 
in my it's head. about it's about this big you know maybe like like 1.75 feet by 1.75 feet it's about eight inches deep and you open it up and there's two grilling surfaces mm. but it sous vide your meat so it cooks it evenly all the way through to like you know like i, I get things everything's rare for me mm-hmm. like uh, rare black and blue sometimes it's like cold cold bloody center is what i want in my steak I, I like it almost raw well let's say i'm gonna do a rare steak because like i'm gonna you know have friends over or something like that because nobody else eats it raw other than me so I'll do, I'll sous vide it for like an hour and a half. So a thick like Chateaubriand, like two inch thick steak, cooks evenly all the way through, like an hour and a half. And then you sear it for like 20 seconds. And it is, because of the algorithm and the calculation of warming it throughout evenly, it's just like, you don't even need to let it sit. To like even out the temperature, it is exquisite. Love it. You need a cinder grill. The Sigap House. Right. I'll, I'll put that. I'll get that on the budget for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I just Googled it quickly and it does not look like what I what I thought it was going to look like. And I love how, how passionate you are about these different things. I think it's it's awesome. I actually promote um, that company and they, I have no financial relationship. Right. Maybe they'll, they'll like, shoot us some dollars for, for publishing. It's just rad. Like, we'll, we'll yeah, it's just it. like the best way to cook. Right. So and, and they're like, oh, you want to be an affiliate? And I'm like, no. I have a question. So, so when I first started looking at this, it seems like, you know, new age technology. But when you begin to like dig into it, I think there are some historical examples of things that people used to do that are sort of in line with variable training. Do you agree with that? And what do you think that people you mean like chains? Well, that would be a good example, yeah. right? Chains and banding. Typically, you would see guys doing variable resistance based on what they saw from the videos at Westside Barbell. Now, Westside Barbell is a little different because they're trying to specialize every athlete in breaking world records. And because of the biomechanics or previous injuries or something, they may have a mid-range that's got an issue that they need to build up. And so they'll just load the mid-range and you know somebody doing sort of tiny reps to try and activate more musculature in the mid-range. They're almost doing like physical therapy for the world's strongest people. Hmm. very fine-tuned stuff and there's a reason that one gym has broken 400 strength records in the world and that's the one in ohio right say it again that's the one in ohio yeah and they did it all with variable resistance so my approach to variable resistance is just it's very generic and it is very much for the person who's not the professional strength athlete necessarily and they don't need any rehab it's like if you if you need joint rehab just go get joint rehab and then go use the the X3. Like if you can't raise your arm over your head, well, you know, that's a problem whether you're strength training or not. So you should probably address that problem. So I don't want to take anything away from Louis Simmons and what they, what they do at Westside, but they were on a track where nothing was really quantified because that, what, that's what I did for this. Like everything is measured. Everything is explained with scientific reference. So it's not my opinion. It's not just my method that can be measured or judged against anybody else's method. If you look at the science, it is absolutely superior. Anybody who read the book would know that. And, and coincidentally, the trolls I have, they never read the book. It's obvious in their comments. Uh, I'm well, sure everything you saw negative, I, they never tried the product and they never read the book. I'll tell you the most, ex- ob- like the red flag on all of them 
is if they include pictures, they're like, you could just build this for a hundred bucks. And it's pictures of people with twisted ankles and twisted wrists doing one eighth of the resistance. I'm like, they've read not even the first chapter. Right. I explained why bands by themselves are worthless. They're great for like 10 to 20 pounds of resistance, but after that, they're great for rehab. Yeah. But your wrists and ankles on anything meaningful are just going to not cooperate. Or they'll break. That that's what I meant. It's a very very uncooperative. Right. Yeah. Like you do you do a deadlift and you let the bands run underneath your ankles and, and you put some serious that's a serious heavy band, your ankles are are turning inward. And ask anybody in the NFL if the ankle joint likes lateral force. Doesn't. I mean, I think that's probably the other than brain injury. It's I think it's the number two career ender in the NFL. Yeah, that Broken tragic ankle. tragic yeah. injury on Alabama's football team beginning of the season. Jalen Waddle just tore his ankle right up opening play like the season and just ruins careers. Yeah, right. He's back, but you know, ruin a season. Lewis and I are definitely sold on the X three, and and we're definitely going to be customers of yours in the future. We really appreciate you coming on. I think it's a good place to end where we started with. You know, none of the, you, he doesn't have an opinion. There there are no opinions. It's just science, and it's just full circle back to here and with variable resistance training. So thank you very much for your time today and and sharing it with us. Awesome guys. And that wraps up our conversation with Dr. John J. Quish. Just a really fun little hour of talking with him and feeling his energy, which is obviously off the charts. So a few lessons that, that I learned from that conversation, the first of which was how he had to really question a lot of conventional wisdom in order to reach the conclusions that he reached. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to, to think that, or to accept that what you thought in the past was wrong, and then to build off of knowing that and finding the answers through like a, a objective look at data. Like at one point, Lewis is like, you know, he was saying how he liked in the book that if the data showed that a vegan diet was the best way to to eat, that he would have included that in the book, but it just wasn't. So it's like an interesting way of looking at your assumptions and then and then building from, I guess, first principles. My next thing is that the X3 is just a really cool piece of machinery, and I'm sure that in the future we'll see different shoot-offs from Jquish Biomedical that'll really blow our minds, but so far we've got the X3 and it's in the living room, and I'm really excited to, to wrap up this outro so that I can go use it. And then the last thing is is that within fitness, like you think about muscles and you think about how far you can run and all these different things, but really what we should be optimizing for is our endocrine system and how just important hormones are and hormone production and regulation are in the pursuit of just overall health and fitness and how it's sort of, it's hard to track, hard to measure, hard to understand it, but that that is what we should be looking at for, for fitness metrics. Heck yeah, I completely agree, especially with that third one. Some of the fun difficulties of doing these conversations with authors and reading the book is I forget what takeaways are from the conversation and what takeaways are from reading the book and prep for the conversation. I'm like, did that come up or did I just read that from him? But that was my biggest takeaway from the book, which I would recommend, Weightlifting is a Waste of Time, Dr. John Jaquish on Amazon. My biggest takeaway from that book was that weightlifting or just athletic activity with the goal of changing your physique and performance is all about hormones. But my three takeaways from this conversation, the first one was his defense of why he recommends only doing one set to failure of every exercise. I thought he had a really interesting defense for that. He said, if you do a second set, you're always gonna half-ass the first one because you need to leave some in the tank 
to be able to do that second set so you never reach true exhaustion and you're kind of just wasting your time. I found that to be really persuasive, logically, and we will find out if it's experimentally true when I start experimenting with the X3, which as Kyle mentioned, is in the living room with Fortigen, his protein supplement. We, we, we went with both. So we're gonna try the X3, supplement with his amino acid profile, which is vegan, but doesn't contradict his carnivore diet, which he addressed in this interview. My second takeaway is about carbs and fasting. I thought that was really interesting how he kind of like Kyle said, is just willing to present the literature. The literature says carbohydrates aren't necessarily necessary for any human function and carbohydrates, sorry, I got distracted, but that- I got distracted, my bad. <laughs> carbohydrates aren't necessary for any human function. And that's a very, 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 as Kyle said, controversial opinion. And we'll see if we agree with that. I'm experimenting it with it as well, because I love to experiment, haven't had, much carbs, not over 50 grams in like a week every day. So we'll see if that comes true. And then when I asked about my rabbi's fasting protocol, he said the, the way to graduate from 16-8, unsurprisingly, is to spend more hours fasting. So I experimented with that as well, did a 36 hour fast over the weekend after this podcast and really enjoyed it. Last takeaway, kind of like what Kyle said about just the mental difficulty of being such a contrarian, of having such strong opinions that disagree so dramatically with reality and kind of after reading his book and being like, okay, this makes sense. And I'm like, why isn't everyone using this yet? reality, but uh, with convention. Yeah, with the other people's sense of reality mm, or whatever you want right. to call it. But kind of just takes time to change consensus. It's something I've started to realize. It's like Celsius, for example, that sports drink is super popular now. And like once I find out about something, I'm like, oh, why doesn't everyone know about this? And it's just because it takes a long time for things to go into people's minds and especially to change people's strongly held opinions. So everyone, especially when everyone's so married to their existing ideology, like veganism, like weightlifting, and when presented with arguments to the contrary, it's very difficult to change their minds. But that is all I have to say about this episode. We make a lot of other episodes, like Kyle said in the beginning, we have about 55, 56-ish other really great interviews. I would highly encourage you to look in our feed, check out some of the recent episodes. We published one with Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning, another awesome book that's crushed on Amazon. Uh, forward by James Clear. That's a fun fact. Then the episode before that with Nicholas Cole, he talks a lot about how he's been so successful writing online, bodybuilding, and just about in any skill he wanted to pursue. So those are two interviews I would highly recommend checking out if you enjoyed this one. If you want to support the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes to show that you think what we're doing is something we should keep doing. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in a week with the next episode.